When Vivian takes a very rare holiday vacation, her life unfolds like a perfect fairy tale. She's been hosted by the royal family, waited on hand and foot, and means a dashing stranger who will either make her dreams come true or break her heart. I'm Heather Songster, and this is Hopelessly Romantic. Welcome back, readers and romance seekers, to another episode. I'm not ready to let go of the holiday spirit quite yet, so today we are reading Royal Holiday by Jasmine Guillory, the fourth novel in her Wedding Date series. I talked a little last week about how I've been choosing my reads lately. That is, I've been going into the bookstore and making a lot of snap decisions. I'm not even reading the back blurb on some of these. I was coming off the heels of my Ice Planet Barbarians read, and I really wanted to find a novel that just spoke to me with one quick glance. This was not that novel. Truth be told, I didn't want something that I could pick up at a quick glance. I actually had another book in mind. You might remember my review of Once Upon a Royal Summer by Terry Wilson. Well, that book has a companion, Once Upon a Royal Christmas, which I've wanted to read for some time now. Alas, the bookstore did not have it in stock, and Christmas time shipping meant that I might not get it in time, so instead I came home with Royal Holiday. There were a few Christmas romances to choose from, and one even Hanukkah-themed romance, but I am obviously in the mood for something royal or royal-adjacent, so this is the one that I chose. I had heard of Jasmine Guillory, but only thanks to my time glossing over the bookshelves, and this will be the first one of hers that I've read. Guillory is somewhat new to the writing scene, having debuted in 2018, but she's been a prolific writer since, averaging about two novels a year. I don't see anything that she's released for 2023, though. Hopefully that just means that she's hard at work at her next book. And while it doesn't have to be a big deal, I do want to note that Guillory is a woman of color. She's been telling stories about women like her, which is exactly how representation should work, and I'm eager to see more of the trend. What I find very interesting is the royal part of this particular royal romance. When I pick up one of these novels, because, you know, I am the most basic of bitches, I usually expect a fictional kingdom with fictional royalty, because if we don't come up with something new, we're basically writing fan fiction of real people, and I think that's a really weird thing that people do. Royal Holiday has gone a very different route. We are working within the world of the very real English monarchy, which brings me to the one final point that I want to note before we get started. This novel was published in 2019, which does feel very close and yet so far away for so many of us. I wanted to bring attention to the publication date because that is going to give us a great deal of context for what is about to follow. God, pre-COVID times just feel like an entirely different world. So we're going to start and take a look at this cover. The cover is following that minimalist trend that I really, really enjoy. We have the author's name in big letters at the top with ribbon-like gold lettering spelling out our title. That's been intertwined with artistic renditions of the main couple, a woman wearing a lovely pink holiday outfit and a gentleman in a suit. There's a little bit of holly and an impression of a castle tucked away in a corner. Overall, it's a lovely look. I don't know which castle this one is supposed to be since we are dealing with real people in a real place, but I'm 90% sure it's not Buckingham Palace. I've said it before, I really much prefer these artistic renditions of the characters, rather than those strange Photoshop monstrosities that we've seen so much of. This is probably because I have shifted away from the mass market books, which require speed over quality. Our latest reads have had such beautiful covers, and I am not sad about it. Oh, and something that I did find interesting. 
My cover has an indigo background, but when I look up the novel in other areas, the background is green and there is some rearrangement of the composition. In my personal opinion, I much prefer the green cover, especially since the castle had been moved to sit above royal, making it look like a little crown. I don't know what edition has the green cover, but I'm hoping it's a later one since I much prefer that one to my indigo version. It has a better pop and that green really leans into the Christmas theme. Enough of that though, let's get started. We are introduced to our main character, Vivian Forrest. She is unique in our group of romance heroines in that she is somewhere in her 50s. As this is the fourth novel in the author's wedding date universe, we have already met her daughter Maddie in a previous book. Well, the universe has. I haven't. This is the first thing that I do want to talk about, that this novel is a part of a series, and I originally hadn't noticed. I am okay with this particular element. As we know, romance novels love their serializations and their separate universes, so we aren't unfamiliar with the setup. However, take a reader like myself, one who didn't know the author very well yet and was just looking for a seasonal read. It's important for me to be able to pick up on the story without needing the context of prior novels. This isn't fantasy, where one could, in theory, pick up a novel in the middle of a series but would be much better off starting with the beginning. Usually, anyway. That's kind of what happened when I had picked up one of the rare Shelf of Shamers, A Bride for the Lost King. I could not decipher anything that was going on, and I had to rush out and buy the first one in the duology. And even with the context, it, it, it they were both still terrible. Not so here. I happily read through the entire thing, and it wasn't until I had done my post-read research that I had found out about the overall universe of Royal Holiday, and I don't feel as though I'd lost anything in translation. The setup, the shtick, if you will, for Royal Holiday is that Vivian's daughter Maddie is a stylist to the rich and famous, and her current assignment is the Duchess of Sussex. Maddie had been invited to stay at one of the royal vacation homes, as I'm going to call it, and she's been allowed to bring her mother, who is a social worker prepared to become director of her department, along for the ride. I don't really follow royal news. Mostly, I just kind of watch it when it comes streaming along whatever train tracks that I've been stopped at on my internet journeys. But I am very well aware of the so-called controversies that surround Prince Harry and his wife, Meghan Markle. As I noted earlier, this novel was written in 2019, and it would probably be a massive understatement to say that things have changed in the last four years where these two particular people are concerned. I will not dare to try and rehash any of the royal ridiculousness that has gone down. I simply wanted to make note of the context that we are working with. The novel never names any of the royals by name, but their characterizations are clearly based on these very real people. That's probably why our royal romance does not feature any of the actual royals at all. Instead, our main romantic hero is Malcolm Hudson, the Queen's private secretary. Of course, Vivian doesn't know that when she first lays eyes on the chap when she wanders down to the kitchen for some breakfast. Vivian couldn't decide what appealed to her more, hot coffee and fresh scones, or that man in the corner who looked like a tall mug of hot chocolate. Why choose? I'd love both coffee and a scone, thank you so much. Would hot chocolate leave, or come farther into the room? Or just stay silent until she went away. Vivian tried to keep her mind on the woman pouring her coffee. I won't lie. I feel as though calling a man of color a tall mug of hot chocolate is a bold move, 
But then again, I am, as Weird Al so famously put it, whiter than sour cream. But that's Malcolm, and his position in the royal household is significant enough that I decided to do some rudimentary googling about the private secretary to the sovereign. Their job can be boiled down to three main functions, as listed on Wikipedia. They act as a channel of communication between the sovereign and their respective government. They organize the official program of the sovereign, which is, I am translating, as managing their social calendar, and they're also drafting speeches and making sure everything is up and up, as well as dealing with correspondences or answering letters. It is an extremely important role, and from the looks of things, they are usually titled, or they will be titled, on retirement. The current secretary to King Charles is this fellow Clive Alderton. I also want to point out that the position is held universally by men, and they are all white as fuck. I am not saying that Malcolm is not a realistic interpretation of this role in the British monarchy. I am also not saying that our author didn't do enough research to know that a black man holding such a prestigious position is so far of unlikely that pigs would fly. Instead, I am happy that she's decided to make this a reality in her universe. Malcolm even mentions to Vivian while on the tour that he takes her on that he is the first black secretary. That's not to say that it was easy for him, though. What an accomplishment it was, and everything it had taken for him to achieve it. Not just the years of hard work, but all of the tiny insults and jokes he'd had to ignore, all of the naysayers, the hundreds of times he'd kept a straight face and a low voice when he wanted to pound on the table and yell. It is nice to watch Vivian be waited on hand and foot happily by the royal staff as well. This world that the authors created, while far from perfect from a racial standpoint, it is a kinder one and just right for a romance. It does lead me to a question of whether or not the story would change had the author decided to make it a fictional kingdom, and would it have better served the story? I'm going to say that the impact would have changed for sure, but I don't think it would have been a positive one. Instead, our author has chosen to make a point to that the very real world we inhabit can and should be more inclusive, and there's no reason it shouldn't be. The fictional kingdoms have their place in romance novels, but it's not here. Kind of on the more general nitpicky side of things, I will say that there's also a lot of telling versus showing, and we all know how much I don't like that. Don't get me wrong, it does take skill to be able to navigate this particular aspect of writing. I know I struggle with it myself, but there are a few areas in the novel that could be cleaned up a little bit. Getting back to the actual plot, we get to enjoy some time with Malcolm and Vivian as they get to know each other. A particular area of delight for me is when Malcolm invites Vivian to the stables. This really helps drive home to Vivian that she's in a different world entirely. And something that I love is that she's completely realistic about what she's seeing. She notes that yes, the horses are very pretty, but they are also very large and could kill someone. I know that might seem odd that this stands out to me, but I am very familiar with the romantic heroines falling in love with horses and only seeing the beautiful side of them. Vivian takes a different approach and acknowledges that these animals can be dangerous, if not deadly. As an equestrian, I approve. Malcolm actually manages to coax Vivian into a saddle, and they enjoy a nice little ride around the grounds, which is sweet, and I am very much here for it. After the ride, we do get a little bit of interesting stuff when the queen shows up, and has a small interaction with Malcolm and Vivian. It was a little strange to read, because, as we all know, that woman is dead now. 
What is cute, though, about the scene is that afterwards, Malcolm gets to tease Vivian about how polite she was, and she even curtsied, despite being very unfamiliar with the monarchy in general, if not uh, dubious of its nature. The two of them begin a sort of correspondence with each other. While Malcolm doesn't usually work outside of Buckingham Palace, royal duties have brought him to the grounds where Vivian and Maddie are staying. As a result, he and Vivian get to delight in sending each other notes while they are in somewhat close proximity. While their interactions have spanned over a relatively short amount of time, Vivian isn't expecting to stay past Christmas. She and Malcolm really do get a chance to examine how they feel about each other. Vivian especially can see the difference between her last failed dates and how nicely Malcolm treats her. What's tricky here, however, is time. And the other potential snag is Vivian's daughter, who would be quite ecstatic to find out that her mother had a secret bow, and so there really wouldn't be any good service in dredging up that excitement. Now, while I might have my gripes about the show VTEL stuff, I do want to say that these characters, they feel real. Both Malcolm and Vivian have a depth beyond their romance and have realistic reactions to the situations surrounding them. One example of this can be seen in the relationship between Malcolm and his nephew Miles. Miles is an artist, but he's also been accepted at Oxford, with the general idea that he is going to one day follow in his uncle's footsteps. However, when Malcolm learns that Miles instead wants to enroll in an art school to pursue his passion full-time, Malcolm responds in an understandable fashion, concerned about his nephew's future. Unfortunately to Miles, Malcolm's outright rejection of his plan feels like a rejection of his entire self, and the two have a bit of a strained relationship for a while. This is also where I kind of get the reminder where I am now very much a boring adult and parent who can completely relate to Malcolm's concerns. Like, kid, you are 19. I respect and understand that you feel invincible, but your uncle isn't totally wrong to be concerned. Yeah. Anyway, in comes social worker Vivian, who doesn't force Malcolm into a certain viewpoint, but she does guide him to a place where he can see Miles's point of view. Something that I never thought I'd see in a romance novel is our heroine making an honest-to-God pros and cons list when it comes to her budding relationship. Malcolm has invited her to stay with him in England for a while after Maddie leaves, and Vivian is trying to figure out if it's a good idea or not. In a rather endearing moment, Vivian lists sex in both the pro and con columns, hopefully added onto the pro list, and sex, I barely know him, listed on the con side. It's cute and hilarious and also realistic. Uh, allosexual women want sex at any age, we don't suddenly stop wanting it after we turn 30. And the fact that Vivian can see herself maybe having actual sex with Malcolm is a testament to how safe she feels with him. They also spend a great deal of time communicating with one another. I'm not talking about how they're obviously dating and sending each other those notes, but rather about how they advocate for themselves and work out any problems they fall into while they get to know each other. An example here is while Vivian is considering accepting Malcolm's invitation to stay with him, he already kind of goes ahead and moves around her travel arrangements. She makes her displeasure known, and he appropriately apologizes. While she does want to stay, she should have given him her consent before he had gone and changed anything. I really do appreciate how much time gets spent on their communication. It's not like they're bickering the entire time, of course not. It wouldn't be a cozy romance if they were, but this is one of those things that adds dimensions to these characters. They aren't cardboard cutouts being manipulated by the hand of the author to suit the whims of the story. They feel like real people who get along, but also have their small early relationship struggles as well. Now, we all love ourselves some escapist fantasy, right? I mean, we wouldn't be reading a royal romance if we didn't. It is fun to sit back and imagine something totally out of left field that might also feel attainable in a small way. 
And one small way to keep that attainable feel is, in my opinion, letting certain aspects of reality settle in as well. Not only do we have characters who feel realistic, but there are a few other hints. One such note strikes us when Vivian, now no longer a guest of the royal cottage, takes Malcolm up to her hotel room and they start making out. And Vivian is no prude. She wants what she wants. However, her plans are foiled when both she and Malcolm realize that neither one of them has a condom. I'll say it before and I'll say it again. I will never be mad when the author adds in bits like this to hammer home the importance of safe sex. Well, part of me is grateful that you didn't presume, but the part of me that wants to have sex right now is furious you weren't more prepared. She looked around the room. I always tell women they should be prepared themselves, and here I am not taking my own advice. But in my defense, I didn't think to pack condoms on a trip to England with my daughter. He was also furious with himself for not being more prepared. Well, there are things we can do that don't necessitate a condom, he said. She laughed. Oh, the enthusiasm. He squeezed her ass and she giggled again. Fear not for our amorous duo, the enterprising Vivian finds a personal care box, and within are two precious condoms. We're finally getting into some spice now, and I'm afraid there's not much of it. Other than the word cock, we aren't getting much more in the way of descriptive language. That's perfectly fine, of course. Overly explicit sex scenes could and would derail a perfectly fine novel, and I see no reason to add a lot of explicit language here. I know it might disappoint some readers, but this particular novel isn't terribly close to the erotic side of the romance section. Alas, as we knew it would, the end of Vivian's vacation has arrived, so after New Year's she returns home to California. I don't really want to count this as a third act separation because one, we knew it was coming, and two, they aren't separating because they are at odds with one another. Yes, they did have their disagreements, but good communication saw them through, and they did not separate on bad terms. But since this is a cozy romance, we know it doesn't end here. Vivian and Malcolm keep in touch with postcards and texts, and both of them push the other to really assess what it is they want out of their lives. Does Vivian really want the director job for her social work department, or does she want to continue to work right with the public? Does Malcolm want to keep his highly prestigious and fought for job, or does he want to retire and be with his American lady friend? We all know how this ends, of course. It's fluffy holiday romance. Malcolm decides that he is ready to retire after all and makes massive leaps to join Vivian in America, and our holiday lovebirds get to have their happily ever after. To figure out where that leaves us, let's get into Heather's final score. To begin, I am afraid that I'm going to give the cover a 3 out of 5. It's not bad, really, but once I saw the green cover edition, I knew how much better it could have been with some simple changes. And yes, while I know the new cover does exist, I'm going to keep it more or less fair by judging the copy in my hands. I really have to stress it's not a bad cover, but knowing what could be, I did what I had to do. Drama is a 3 out of 5. I feel that the problems that our characters experience was well within the scope of the novel, and nothing earth-shattering fell out of the sky. We had the right amount of angst over their short time together, their individual lives and careers, and their relationship as a whole. Nothing was overblown or overwrought, and I'm pretty satisfied with what we have. Romance is getting a 5 out of 5. Everything about the way Vivian and Malcolm interacted with each other was perfect. Not only were they communicating effectively, but they respected each other, their boundaries, and had a pleasant chemistry the whole way through. 
Like I said before, these people feel real to me, and it was quite enjoyable to watch the romance unfold. Next, Spice is going to be a pretty tame 2 out of 5. It gets a boost from the first sexual interaction with the use of the word cock, but most of the sex scenes after that are pretty tasteful fade-to-black scenarios. Nothing against it, of course. I don't think Super Spicy was appropriate for this novel, and if you like your romance on the tamer side, you'll enjoy this one. Finally, we've got realism, and as usual with the royal ones, it's a little tricky. Ignoring the fact that we are dealing with a very real British monarchy, and Malcolm holds a very real and very public position, could this actually happen? All truth be told, I've got no damn clue. While Malcolm and Vivian's relationship felt very real, their situation uh, probably did not. But again, we don't expect a lot of realism when it comes to the royal romance genre, and I'm willing to concede, with the right circumstances, this could feel plausible four years ago. Could I see this happening now? No, absolutely not, and not just because the Queen is dead. My understanding is that no one likes Charles or Camilla as monarchs, and from what little I've heard, I don't blame them, and that's not to mention all of the mess going on with Harry and Meghan. I'm going to give this category a solid 2 out of 5. It's a low score, but that's my general vibe on the whole situation. As a whole, I did enjoy Royal Holiday. Even given my hang-ups about how the royal family was dealt with, I still found it amusing, and the strong connection between our two mains made up for any transgressions I may have found along the way. And there weren't too many. In the end, if you're a little sad about the end of the holidays and want a Christmas pick-me-up with a royal flavor, I'd definitely give it a read. For my final score, I'm giving Royal Holiday four tall mugs of hot chocolate out of five. Thank you for joining me, readers and romance seekers, and I hope to see you once again for Hopelessly Romantic. If you like the show, please visit us at hopelesslyromanticpodcast.com. If you have questions or want to recommend a read, please email us at contact at hopelesslyromanticpodcast.com. The show is written and produced by me, Heather Songster. Our technical advisor is Kwong Hyun Cho. Hopelessly Romantic is an HLK production. And it doesn't matter what you read, only that it's what you love.